Welcome back to the Mulligan Brothers podcast. I am your host, Jordan Mulligan. I hope you're having a blessed and productive day. And thank you for joining me for motivation, inspiration, and hopefully some lessons and teachings that will help you lead a more prosperous and productive life. Today, I sit down and talk to James Nestor, an expert in breathing. Yes, breathing. And why is that so important to us? It is incredibly important to us. His book, Breathe, took the world by storm and made people realize how important breathing is for success, for happiness, for living a good life, for physical health and well-being. I read his book um, quite some time ago, actually. I was in Mexico. I was going out to do the uh, World's Strongest Man and I was reading this book and I was I was running a half marathon actually in Mexico. I never experienced temperatures like that before from coming from the UK. I'd never experienced that kind of heat and humidity. And I was running a half marathon down there and there was all the lizards and snakes running around. And uh, I just read his book actually. And it was talking about nasal breathing. And he spoke about a a runner who would run solely using his uh, nose to breathe and not his mouth and how his performance was increased and um, all this kind of stuff. And you know what? I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this half marathon. I'm going to do it in the sweltering heat and I'm going to do it with just my nose. So I went out and I did it. And uh, the first five, 10 minutes was difficult, really, really rough. And then I hit a stride, hit a rhythm, and oh my gosh, the the benefit was insane. I felt amazing, uh, you know. And I I think this was it wasn't just me, like a placebo effect. Like I I really did feel that I was getting more lung, more oxygen into my body. I was I was more alert, more focused. Uh, but the yeah, it was it was really amazing, and and that's why I'm happy to share this podcast episode with you guys on this audience. If you want to see the project, it's actually at mullingworths.com. It was done, done some time ago, but you can see about nasal breathing all over mullingworths.com and get some more visuals work um, on there too. And also James's book, Breathe, is really worth a read. Um, t- today's video was made possible at mulliganbrothers.com. At mulliganbrothers.com, you can get the best motivational clothing brand, um, clothes, you can get the hoodies, t-shirts, the inspire change range, where you can remind people of your mission in life to inspire people through your actions and what you do. But also you can get the not a journal, a journal that is a real journal. You don't need, um, half the pages to be talking about how to journal. This is a no bullshit approach to journaling. It is get stuff done every single day kind of journal. And it's why I love it. I designed it a few years back and you guys have loved it which means that it'll probably be sold out if you go check on the website. But we have a huge order coming in. So if it's not there, please hit the um, emailing list and we will notify you when it's back in stock. And also, my new favorite thing in the world is the Momentum Mori posters available at mulliganbrothers.com. It is a poster to remind you that you are mortal. There's 80 years on there plotted out with tiny, tiny little squares. And those little squares are a calendar of each week of your life and you cross them off as you go. I filled mine up until 30 years and now I cross off a box each week. And let me tell you, doing that is such a reminder of how precious time is. And here's the shocking thing. 
one day I won't fill in another box. That was me doing a brain explosion. One day I will not fill, fill in another box. Somewhere down there on that page is a box that will be the last box I fill in. It could have been the one I filled in yesterday. And as morbid as that sounds, let me tell you how powerful that is. It is incredible. I live my life. I look at that fridge every morning. I live my life so much more fulfilled, so much more energy to live a happy, prosperous life. Um, it kind of filters out all the bullshit as well. You know, we might be dead tomorrow. And um, yeah, if if that sounds like something you're interested in, head over to mulliganbrothers.com where you can be reminded that you are going to die um, but anyway, guys, before that, let's jump back into this amazing episode with James Nestor. One of my favorite episodes that where we've spoken about the human body. And this episode right here will have you by the end of it um, with noticeable difference in your in your performance and your physical body instantly. Like literally you practice some of the things he talks about and instantly tonight, tomorrow, you will have those benefits. Anyway, let's jump into it. Just for those who don't know, just introduce yourself and what you do. My name is James Nestor. I'm the author of Breath, The New Science of the Lost Art. Okay, and so early days, uh, whereabouts did you grow up? What kind of things were you into? I grew up in Southern California in Orange County. And a lot of people think that Southern California in the 70s and 80s was just this very hippy-dippy place that was super lax, but it really wasn't. It was mostly military families and defense industry and extremely conservative. So my outlet was the ocean and I just went to the ocean uh, about every day in summertime and, and most days in, in spring and fall as well. So, and then, so ocean, I'm guessing that's how we get into the breathing. So what, what's, the, what's the link? How did we, we get to that? No, I was a terrible breather growing up. I had no idea how to breathe properly. I didn't know that there was such a thing as proper breathing, right? Nobody teaches you that in school. When I was growing up, the smog was so bad, you couldn't see down the street. And we would have smog days instead of snow days where you would have to stay inside. So it was very surreal sort of postmodern existence back back in those days. But I was pretty sure I was mouth breathing throughout a lot of my youth. I know I was mouth breathing at night. I had teeth extracted. I had braces. I had headgear. I had retainers. And when I was growing up, it was never if you were going to do that stuff, but, but when, right? Everyone I knew was getting braces. I never questioned it. Wisdom teeth out, all the rest. So I never, ever thought about breathing when I was growing up. Not until somewhat recently did I ever consider that this was something that we could actually focus and that could improve our health and so much more. So for you personally growing up, um, until you discovered it, what were, what were the effects for you personally of like not realizing um, that we can breathe in a certain way to benefit us? Uh, I think that I was wheezing a bit when I was younger. I never had asthma, official asthma, but there was always something going on with my lungs. I wasn't sure what it was. And so many other people had chronic respiratory problems that we were told this was just normal to have allergies, to have asthma, to have a stuffed nose, to snore, to have sleep apnea. You know, everyone else is doing it. Why, why shouldn't you be doing it as well? So it, it wasn't until much later in life, decades later, 
when I was an adult that I started suffering from regular bouts of bronchitis and pneumonia, mild pneumonia, and more wheezing, still no asthma. And I was eating all the right stuff. I was sleeping eight hours a night. I was exercising all the time, various sports. But my breathing just felt kind of off. And again, so many other people had these chronic respiratory issues. I thought that this was just a part of growing old, which sucks. But I was just going to grin and bear it. Lovely. And so this this is the book here and graciously sent it through. And I, thank you so much for that. For me, um, I actually listened to this on audiobook. I was at the time I was in um, Mexico. It was re- I'm used to really cold weather. It was like 40 degrees and I went on this run and I could not run like more than a thousand meters. Um, went back to the hotel, put this book on and went for a run and really focused on the nose breathing. It was very difficult, but I, for some, like, I hit this stride and I just carried on going and it was so amazing for me. And after that, I was so excited to sort of talk about this. So it's based on a lot of science and a lot of history. And it's so interesting to hear the history of this. Um, so first of all, how did we get to the point where you thought, right, I, we need to write a bo- I need to write a book about this. I need to share this information. Yeah, you know, when you're a journalist and when you're a science journalist, you never think you're going to be spending five years researching and writing a book about breathing. Seems about the most boring thing you could ever imagine doing. And my agent told me so over several years. I, I said, you know, there might be this book on breathing. And then we looked and there's so many other books on breathing. You know, there are 400 different practices in them. I said, no, I think that there's a deeper story here that, that people aren't understanding, that I am certainly not understanding. I'm curious about it. She said, no, 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 terrible idea. And so it wasn't until really years of putting together the pieces of this puzzle. And I kept finding articles, scientific articles, magazine articles, newspaper articles that were loosely associated with humans as a species losing the ability to breathe properly. And a lot of people think, what are you talking about? I'm alive right now. I'm breathing. But what I learned from researchers is that compensation, you know, just getting by is very different than being healthy. We can just get by eating 20 cookies a day, right? But that doesn't mean we're going to be healthy. And so many of us are breathing in this very dysfunctional way that our bodies are able to survive, but they're not able to flourish. So that's where it started getting a lot more interesting for me. And finally, I convinced my agent. uh, She thought, okay, there might be something here. And found an editor and I I went to work. I thought I was going to write this book in about a year and a half. It took me about five years. So, uh, uh, so many revisions because so much of my understanding of breathing and what science has understood about breathing over the years is, is wrong. And we, we know that now from the latest scientific discoveries. So the the modern day person, what the average person, what are they doing? That's just not natural. What, 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 what's the average person doing? The average person is breathing out of their mouth a lot. And there is a time and place to breathe through your mouth when you're laughing, when you're sighing. That's totally fine. Sometimes at levels, upper level zone four, zone five, you can default to mouth breathing real quick to get a a burst of oxygen, right? To reset your respiratory system. Completely fine. I'm talking about chronic mouth breathing. 
I'm talking about the more than 60% of the population that sleeps with an open mouth and the 25 to 50% of the population that habitually mouth breathes during the day while they're conscious. So that's really the number one thing. And then we're breathing too much. We're um, breathing too shallow. Um, we're breathing in a way that we're just packing air into the, our lungs, but we're not exhaling fully. So there's a bunch of other things that fall off that tree, but for it, first and foremost, it starts with breathing through your nose. And you'd be amazed by how few people actually practice this. The, the book was such a trigger for me to consciously think about it. And it really did, it, the, the worst case scenario led to such a mindfulness that it, it was fantastic. But it, like I said, on that particular run, it transformed it. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, what sort of health complications does mouth breathing and the average person, what they're doing at the moment, what does that lead to? When you breathe through the mouth, you tend to breathe very shallowly, right? So you take air in just into the upper parts of the lungs and then you breathe it out. So when you breathe this shallow, you have to take more and more breaths just to get that oxygen you need to fuel your body. And there's been various studies that have shown when you breathe of, at a rate that's even considered normal, 18 to 20 breaths a minute, you are only able to use about 50% of that oxygen. The reason is so much of that air gets, uh, is just in your mouth, is in your throat, is in the bronchi, but it doesn't get to the lungs. So you're literally just taking air in and exhaling it without using it. So I think that that is one of the major ones and we can blame our modern lifestyles for that because now we sit in front of Zoom cameras all day long. A lot of us are hunched over like this, right? Even if we wanna take a deep fulfilling breath, we can't. Um, and then you develop this habit that your diaphragm, which is this muscle that lifts up and allows you to exhale and sinks down and allows you to inhale that becomes only accustomed to working in this very small movement like this, right? And when we breathe this way, we trigger a stress response in our bodies. Because guess what happens when we were, you know, a million years ago when we were in the tundra and running away from saber-toothed tigers or whatever. <laughs> That's how we breathe. But now we've been adopting this panic breathing throughout the day throughout times when we aren't exposed to real danger, when your boss sends you a nasty email and you start breathing into your chest. And this is destroying our health. Chronic inflammation is behind, you know, 95% of modern diseases. And chronic inflammation can be triggered by this low-grade stress. And that's what breathing this way will do to your body. So what, what kind of exercises would you recommend someone just stepping into this, what, what to do? This seems so minor and it seems like it's not going to do much for, for your body and mind, but you'd be surprised. The first thing I tell people is you have to learn how to breathe through your nose. You're never, ever really going to be healthy if you're a mouth breather. I said that years ago and I believe it more now than at any other time. So that's easier said than done, right? A lot of us have deviated septums. If you're like me, I've broken my nose like three times. Uh, a lot of people have allergies. A lot of people have chronic rhinitis and sinusitis and all the rest. 
Some people need surgery, okay? I'm not saying everyone just needs to breathe through their noses, but what I've found is the majority of us can get huge benefits by just training yourself to breathe through your nose. It's going to be terrible for the first couple of weeks as you experience when you're jogging. And that's why a lot of people give up. They say, my performance has gone down. I feel very uncomfortable. I'm not going to do this. This is bad for me. But you have to get over that hump. Sometimes it takes weeks. Sometimes it takes months. But your nose is filled with these different structures that just like any other muscle in the body will respond the more it's used and it will start to open up. And once you get to that point where it starts to open up, you're going to say, why have I not been doing this for the past few years or the past few decades? Because the nose is governing how much air is coming into your body. It's slowing it down. It's pressurizing it. It's filtering it so that you can extract about 20% more oxygen breathing through the nose than you can through the mouth. If you don't think that's going to make a difference while you're working out or while you're just sitting around, you're crazy. So it really starts with that. It starts with nasal breathing. How, how different is breathing through the mouth versus breathing through the nose? What, it, what's the contrast? I will show you. I'm going to bring my guest on. Okay, it usually it. takes a little time. There he is. He's been waiting patiently over here, trying to nip at my heels. But um, for the people who are listening to this, I'm just holding up a cross section of a human skull, a human face. So you can just see right here. I don't even need to explain it. When you're breathing air in through the nose here, look at all of these different structures it has to pass through, right? Before it gets to your throat and down to your lungs. As air is going through all of these structures, there are little hairs and there's mucus and there's muscles and there's tissues. And all of these work together to help purify this air and to slow it down. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with nitric oxide. It's this magical molecule that um, for anyone who's ever taken like sexual enhancement drugs, uh, Viagra or whatever, guess how that works? It works by releasing nitric oxide in the body. Your nose releases six times more nitric oxide than your mouth. So, you know, take that to bed with you tonight and see, see what happens. If you look at the, at the mouth here, none of those structures are there. <gasps> That's how easy it is to breathe through the mouth. So when you're breathing through the mouth, your lungs might as well be an external organ because they're exposed to all the crap in the environment. So, you know, this really spells it out. Evolution spells it out. Our biology, it spells it out. We are built to be nasal breathers. And if you don't believe this, Go look at any other animal in the wild. Check out a cheetah when it's running at 50 miles per hour. It's breathing through its freaking nose the whole time. So, uh, you know, uh, humans have gone so far astray that we assume that breathing through the mouth is a normal thing. You still hear this from some doctors. But anyone who's actually studied this, and I've talked to dozens and dozens of rhinologists and pulmonologists, there's no controversy about this. you got to breathe through your nose. The worst breathers in the animal kingdom, is that where you would uh, say humans, is that right? Yeah, you know, humans have a lot of uh, honors. We've gotten a lot of awards, um, and that is one of them. We love to be number one in the animal kingdom, and we're certainly number one as far as our dysfunctional breathing is concerned. 
And this was something that completely blew my mind that I had not found in my initial research for the book. This was something that came on later when I was talking to an anthropologist and she was saying, do you ever wonder why we have crooked teeth? I said, no, I have crooked teeth. Everyone I know has crooked teeth. We all get them fixed and, and it's fine. She said, well, why don't you go look at other animals? Go look at their teeth. So I did. And every single other animal in the animal kingdom has straight teeth. And she said, now go look at ancient skulls, anything older than around 500 years old. Go check out these skulls. So I did. All of our ancestors, all of them had straight teeth. And they had this pronathic growth to their face, which means their faces grew outward, these huge badass jaws, these huge mouths. Guess what happens when you have a wide jaw, wide nasal apertures, a wider face? You have a much larger airway, which means that our ancestors very likely did not suffer from any of this widespread snoring, sleep apnea, chronic sinusitis, and more. And what was so fascinating doing this research and digging through these skulls, which I spent months doing, is you can see the exact time when our beautiful faces went to crap. And that was right when we started eating industrialized foods. In a single generation, we went from never having crooked teeth to having crooked teeth. And now we're generations past that time, right? The industrial revolution. And look around, <laughs> this is what we have. Not only have our teeth grown more crooked, our airways are more clogged and our faces have massively changed to the way our, from which our ancestors looked. I mean, the, yeah, the hist there's so much history in the book. Like it is astounding. Like the the links and um, especially like the schools in the animal kingdom is really really interesting. Um, I want to break this down into two things. So there's the um, athletic performance, and and then also for. For a lot of our viewers, like how does this carry over into this everyday life business? So athletic, like for athletic performance, obviously it's massive, but that that everyday life, um, if this was transferred into the business, in the business world or into the workplace, that like how is this helping in, in those places? Well, when you fix your breathing and you focus on your breathing and you adopt healthier breathing habits, it's going to fix you a it's going to help you across the board. It may not fix every single one of your problems. Of course it doesn't, but it can only help you. And that's what's interesting about breathing is there's no side effects. Sometimes when you take a drug, a pharmaceutical drug or whatever, it's like, yeah, it can help you in some ways, but there's all these other side effects. Fixing your breathing and increasing your healthy breathing only has benefits. So whether or not you're a corporate warrior or a weekend athlete or professional athlete, everybody sees gains. Everybody, even asthmatics or people with autoimmune issues. So what I tried to focus on in the book, because there's so many different breathing uh, dysfunctions, right? And there's so many different breathing therapies, so many different exercises. There's a foundation that everybody can benefit from. And that's some of the stuff that we talked about. Breathe through your nose as often as you can. Don't worry about it if you're breathing through your mouth at some short amounts of time. Exhale fully. A lot of people pack in air. 
breathe slowly, breathe less. So if you just do these things, you're going to see benefits. And if you don't believe me, mark what happens with your heart rate variability, mark what happens with your blood pressure, mark what happens with your sleep quality, and you're going to see. So it's, uh, we'll break this down to two. I think you want some more specifics on, on the business go-getters and the athletes. But just starting with the athletes, think about how athletes get most of their energy. You'd say, oh, through, through their food. No, we get most of our energy through our breath. And if we are not breathing in a way that is efficient, if our inhalations and exhalations aren't closely coordinated, we're never really going to be able to hit that state of peak performance because we're going to be working a little too hard to get our breath. You know, athletes can breathe something like you know, 100, 100 times an hour respiratory rate, 150 times, like an insane amount of, of breath that they're using, an insane amount of oxygen. You want to get that oxygen in the most efficient way. That's what performance is, right? Working at peak at peak efficiency. And so when you train your breathing in line with your metabolic needs, your heart rate tends to go down, your blood pressure can go down. And so you're able to function at the same rate as you were before, but you have more energy because your heart rate is lower, even though you're performing at the same state. So again, this stuff isn't controversial. This is the basis of athletic performance is efficiency. But everyone's been focusing on drink this goo, uh, you know, eat this tablet, uh, go to sleep at this time. But people aren't focusing on their breath, which is crazy. That's starting to change in a huge way. If you look at the work of Patrick McEwen or Brian McKenzie or Laird Hamilton, the very first thing they have their athletes do is to fix their breathing. And I've talked to these guys numerous times. They say 99% of them are breathing in a dysfunctional way. They push through the pain, right? They, they have the endurance to push through it. That doesn't mean they're healthy. And that doesn't mean they're reaching their peak levels. So there's a bunch of ways that athletes can do that. It starts with, guess what? Nasal breathing. And nasal breathing as often as you can. If you're a weightlifter, right? You can breathe through your mouth when you're doing that final... <laughs> No problem. But when you're training, you want to learn how to be breathing through your nose. I mean, this is that we've had the science for, for four, five decades now. And for some reason, it hasn't seeped in to a lot of athletic training. But that is changing in a huge way because now people have wearables. They can watch what happens with their heart rates, with their heart rate variability, with their sleep quality and their recovery. And from what I've seen, it is huge. And once people adopt these healthy breathing habits, once athletes do, they will never, ever go back, you know, to a less efficient way of getting most of their energy. If you're enjoying this podcast episode, please head over to www.mullingbrothers.com where you can support our mission to inspire change around the world, where all the profits go back into creating these documentaries on YouTube and these podcast episodes right here for free as always and to be able to do that you guys who supported us at mulliganbrothers.com have made this possible mulliganbrothers.com now stocks the new memento mori posters a poster to remind you that you are mortal that one day yes you don't want to hear it but one day you will die 
And the poster has loads of tiny little boxes on there. And it represents, I think, around 80 years of your life. I've got mine filled up to 30 years and I fill it in one little box every single week. And it reminds me how precious time is. And if that doesn't get you motivated, if that doesn't get you inspired to live a happy and prosperous life, if that does not help you clear all the noise, and I don't know what will, but this tool for me works absolutely amazing. It is available at mulliganrivers.com. And if you feel like you want to be reminded that you are going to die every single day, Head over to mullimers.com and buy the poster now. But before that, let's jump back into this amazing episode with James Nestor. Yeah, I mean, I genuinely can attest to this. So um, just saying before this, so this couple of weeks back, I was with Luke Stoltman, World's Strongest Man Athlete, and he's read the book and he recommended it to me a few months ago. And the the events at World's Strongest Man are very short-lived, so... Like you say, like when the event's happening, he might be mouth-breathing, but prepping up to that event and preparing for it, he's nasal-breathing the whole time. Um, and from this year to, to last year, there is such a big difference. And uh, some of it is down to definitely changing his breathing habits and his breathing techniques. And throughout training and life, he's, he's changed all those habits. Um, and then for me, I've done it on more of an endurance level, and it's, wor- it's worked for me as well. It really is amazing for the athletic performance so what about the business side of things and those people what what, what's it doing for them so i'm lucky enough to be uh in san francisco and i live really close to uh uc san francisco which is a big research institution focused on medicine and i was talking to dr margaret chesney who has worked with the nih and she's also a professor at ucsf and she studies breathing and she studies dysfunctional breathing in office places. That's kind of her specialty. And she was telling me that an estimated 80% of office workers suffer from something called email apnea. What this is, is when you sit down, maybe it's at the beginning of the day or after lunch or whenever, you answer your emails and open up all your screens and you say, oh my God, I have 30 emails. I got to get back to all these people. They're all mad at me. How am I ever going to do this? At the same time, somebody calls you. At the same time, you get a calendar entry for something. And when all of these things happen at once, when you're in the state of stress, you can stop breathing. Okay. And if you stop breathing for long enough and you continue in this manner, this can have some really deleterious effects on your health because you're not getting that constant supply of oxygen. And I asked her, I said, well, why do we stop breathing? Why don't we breathe too much? Why don't we hyperventilate? And she said, well, we do that too. But if you think about what we have learned to do through evolution, when we sense fear, right? Oh, there's an Vading tribe coming into my cave. Uh, I need to be real quiet. We've adopted this this skill to go hold our breath so we're perfectly silent. And then, <laughs> so we've taken this because we don't live in cave. Well, most of us don't live in caves now. Um, we've taken these same patterns, these these same uh, dysfunctional views of fear and apply them to our office space, just as we were talking about earlier. So these dysfunctional breathing patterns, if we do this all day long, we're going to jack our cortisol, we're going to jack our adrenaline, 
Uh, we can jack our blood sugar. And if we do that for long enough, our bodies are just going to get worn down. And we're seeing this all over the place. So I think for office workers, if you want to be operating at peak level as well, dial in your breathing. Otherwise, you're going to be much more apt to burn out. And again, this isn't a, a leap of logic to get there. If you want to have energy and if you want to be present, you need to supply your body with oxygen. And if you're holding your breath or hyperventilating, your brain is not going to get the proper amount of oxygen to function properly. And so you're going to be at a disadvantage to your fellow coworkers. So again, easier said than done. What do you do? I use a, an app on my phone. You can use other little devices. So when you sit down in the morning, breathe in a paced pattern, about five to six seconds in, five to six seconds out. I keep this little sound going in the background, especially in the morning. It's this annoying little so I don't have to look at anything. And then I can just lock into a proper respiratory rate right out of the gate, right when I start my work day. And it's made an incredible difference with me. I've taken my blood pressure. I've worn all kinds of devices for weeks at a time and looked at how dysfunctional my breathing was while I was working. And it was terrible. And I was wondering why at the end of the day I was having these awful headaches and, you know, other issues. And I was so tired. It's because I was struggling to get oxygen. I'd love to hear just a simple breakdown that somebody could apply then for a, a breathing morning routine. Sure. So what I've tried to do, and I just want to be clear, I'm not a breathing therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a breathing evangelist. That's not my role. I'm a journalist, right? I went into this world just trying to look at the subject in the most objective, non-political way as I possibly could. I have no skin in either game, either side of this argument between medical professionals, because there's doctors in my family and other people who understand breathing in this different level, this, this psychic level. I just want to go in and get information. So having said that, that's the big caveat section of the podcast here. Yeah, of course, I picked up some tips, right, <laughs> that I want to incorporate into my life. So just starting off the day, if you're able to just steal away for three minutes, for five minutes, if you can push it for 10 minutes, and just focus on your breathing when you wake up, it can make a very big difference to your day. I do a practice as part of something called Sudarshan Kriya, which is an inhale to four, a hold to four, an exhale to six, a hold for two. So inhale to four, hold four, exhale six, hold two. Uh, I find that that's very calming. You can do box breathing, inhale four, hold four, exhale four, hold four. You just breathe into a box. You can find all this stuff on YouTube, right? The instructions are easy, but it doesn't need to be complicated for it to work. And that's what people are developing these very elaborate breathing techniques. And okay, that works for you, but the simple stuff can be just as effective as the most complicated stuff. It just depends on how you do it. So if you're able to do that in the morning, that's great. But it's very important when you sit down and work, you open up your monitors and you're, oh man, what am I going to do today? To, Yeah, you're stressed. So don't let that stress take over your body and your mind. 
control your breathing, you control your breathing, you control your stress. So that's the anchor here. You can try different apps for that, different apps with different timers to just have a rhythm to your breath. Same inhale, same exhale is a good way of staying balanced, alert, and relaxed at the same time. One thing that was really interesting to me is, and it's just you've just triggered me with the box breathing and the, the breathing methods that you're talking about, was how baked in this was to prayer and religion, and that we've been doing it for so long, uh, we've just not realized that, that we were doing it. And obviously, more recently, not many people are practicing prayer, so we're not doing these breathing techniques as much. But I'd love to hear your opinion on how it is part of prayer and religion and how... Um, ancestors for generations and generations have been doing this? Well, before there were smartphones and apps and different websites, there was prayer. So we use those devices because they have timers on them. Before there were clocks and watches. How would you keep pace with your breathing, right? It's hard, hard to do unless you have these very rhythmic phrases that you could speak. And by speaking these rhythmic phrases and having pauses in between these phrases, you can control the breathing not only for yourself, but for entire populations, entire congregations. And that's what prayer was doing. And I thought this research was so fascinating that this group of Italian researchers about 20 years ago brought in these subjects and had them recite the Catholic prayer cycle of the rosary in Latin, because they're Italian, of course, that's how they're going to recite it. And they also had them recite Om Mani Padmi Hum, which is a, the most famous Buddhist mantra. Both of those require the exact same respiratory rate. About five to six seconds in when you inhale in, and about five to six seconds when you're exhaling. When you're exhaling, of course, you're vocalizing. Om Mani Padme Hum. Then you pause for the same amount of time. Om Mani Padme Hum. So they started looking at other prayers too, like the Kundalini chant that's been around for thousands of years. Satanama or Om. And they were all locking into the same respiratory rate. So they were curious what this respiratory rate, what this breathing pattern was doing to our bodies and our minds. They hooked them up to all these different sensors. And when we recite these prayers, or even when we breathe this way, we don't even need to recite these prayers. That's just to help with the respiratory rate, the respiratory breathing pattern. But when we do this, we get more oxygen to the brain. Our blood pressure goes down significantly. Our heart rate goes down. And these different systems in our body enter a state that they call coherence, where everything is working exactly the way it should, where your body is able to operate at that state of peak efficiency. And you can see this with a heart rate variability monitor. Whenever you breathe in this pattern, or you can recite one of these prayers if you'd like, check out what happens to your heart rate variability. It goes from being completely scattered, as mine is now, certainly, as I'm talking to you, to these beautiful sine waves. So what's so convincing is it's not, to me, it's not only how you feel after breathing this way. Oh, I feel better. Okay, that's cool. What is that worth scientifically? Not a lot. 
but you can look at the data in real time now with wearables that are pretty cheap and watch this transformation that happens to your body just by switching your breathing. How far back does the history go of practicing breathing or is it something that just doesn't exist because they had such good breathing techniques already? I tried to dig into this and it gets a little fuzzy the further back you go. But the earliest evidence I could find is about 5,000 years old. So there was this population called the Indus civilization that was at the corner of northern India and Pakistan and Afghanistan. They were highly sophisticated. They lived in these bubble houses. They lived in these cities. They had flowing water. They had sewage systems. They had metal and they were extremely successful for such a long time. What's interesting is no one's found any proof that they had any religion. So this could have been at a time before religion. What a wonderful time that would have been. Um, and they found in this in the civilization these figurines of these people in these very obvious breathing stances and breathing poses. So this is the first evidence of yoga where you have these guys and they're sitting cross-legged and their their stomachs are way out, then their stomachs are in. So they're not sitting like this just for kicks. It's not too comfortable to sit around and talk shop this way. So that is the what is considered the first evidence of yogic breathing. And we do know, according to ancient scripts, that yoga was a technology of breathing. That's what it was. There was no vinyasa flow or any of that at the beginning. It was about sitting down and focusing on your breath. Then over several thousand years, they started incorporating poses to yoga. And these poses, you would strike this pose and hold it for a very long amount of time and focus on your breathing. So this vinyasa flow, which I love, which I do all the time, that a lot of people are doing in gyms now, that you do at yoga studios, that stuff's about 100 years old. So when people tell you that that is an ancient practice, it's not. That was developed in the West. I'm not saying it's bad. I love it. The, the benefits are profound of doing this vinyasa flow. But that first ancient yoga that's been around for 4,000 years before that, it was a technology of breathing. And it was a technology of stretching your body so that you could incorporate and get more breath, more air into your lungs to fuel your body. I love it. Um, I, I want to talk about just some anecdotes, but I want to make sure I'm going to probably get this name wrong. Um, Zatopec, is that right? Zatopec, yeah. Zatopec. Very close. I've heard it both ways. It's kind of a okay. tomato, tomato situation. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. It's fascinating that was. So I was knowing all, all of the benefits of breathing, especially with, with athletes and especially with people with panic and asthma. I started digging into, I'm like, well, how old does, what, what's the oldest evidence I could find of a modern athlete using this? Is it from the 80s? And I found some people who use it in the 80s and destroyed everybody. I found some people in the 90s and 2000s who adopted healthy breathing and became the best in the world. Sanya Richard Dross is one of them. 
Check out pictures of her running. She was the top female sprinter for for a decade. Check out her her mouth closed, breathing through the nose, destroying everyone. Um, and so I kept going back in time, which wasn't easy, right? But but I love this part of my job because I can just spend weeks on one thing, getting obsessed over finding this one piece of research. And Emil Zadopek, who was this this guy who worked in a shoe factory in Zlin, Czechoslovakia, back in the days when that was part of the Soviet Union, he was asked to run a race, and he had never run a race in his life. He was not an athlete, but the manager of the shoe factory convinced him to do it. In other words, probably threatened him. And he ran this race and, and came in like second out of 100 people. He thought, he thought hmm, maybe, maybe there's a future in this. So he started competing and started training himself. And I don't know where he got the information, but he trained himself in holding his breath as long as he could, what is called hypoventilation training. And he went on to become the top runner in the 1950s. He won more medals at the 1952 Olympics than anyone in running. And then he was so successful that uh, he somebody mentioned that, hey, there's a marathon going on. Do you want to run it? He'd never run a marathon in his life. He ran it anyway, got gold. So he he's the one who really put this hypoventilation training, which is really breathing in line with your metabolic needs, considering that so many of us overbreathe. What he was doing was like weight training for his lungs, right? He would train with hypoventilation so that his body could process and use that air in his lungs so much more efficiently. And we know through various modern studies and thousands of case studies that people who condition themselves like this can gain more red blood cells, it's like altitude training, can increase their VO2 max, can increase their threshold uh, in, in which they wanna give up, their, their performance thresholds, and, and they become better athletes. So after that, after Zadopak, the 1976 men's swim team started using the same training method, went to Montreal, destroyed everyone. The, the, the number one performance, I think, in all of Olympic history. And before them, the track team, U.S. men's track team, developed this healthy breathing, um, exhaling more, incorporating diaphragmatic breathing, went to Mexico City, were the only team not to use oxygen before and after the race and outperformed everybody. And I still think that they that was the number one track performance of any team in history. So the data is all there, right? The history is there. No one's arguing with it. But it's so surprising that people haven't picked up on this earlier. I'd love to hear. So obviously with your research, you've probably heard um, a load of stories. Like, is there any that stand out to yourself? Well, there's there's too many. Um, you know, I would love to say that there's one that really blew my mind. But every time I went into the field and talked to people, I just could not believe that a I was lucky enough to find these people, and b that no one else was talking about this, even in medical circles. You know, my father-in-law's a pulmonologist, works with the lungs. <laughs> like that's that's his jam. He's been doing this for forty years a well-respected, renowned guy. My brother-in-law is an ER doctor. So it was working with every single part of the body. And, and they hadn't heard, you know, 90% of what I was finding um, in the science. Um, so I, I think that, you know, the stories with kids are the ones that sort of hit home the most because they're, 
the most susceptible to breathing dysfunction, and they're also the most easy to fix. And the fact that so many kids are breathing so poorly, and it's this poor breathing that's behind so many chronic maladies, looking at the amount of kids who have sleep disordered breathing, it's off the charts, you know, something like 50% of kids have trouble sleeping. And a lot of their trouble sleeping is attached to their trouble breathing. And their breathing isn't diagnosed and it's not treated. So we know that ADHD, there's a direct link between our breathing at night and ADHD. It's not a casual link, it's directly connected. So when you hear stories of, of people who had taken their kids to 20 different doctors who have been on 20 different drugs, who are 12 years old and still wetting their beds, have ADHD, um, are having now neurological issues, no one's looked at their breathing, they fix their breathing, all those problems go away almost instantly. They're not on any other drugs now. They have normal kids. You wonder, you're just like, hmm, why aren't more people talking about this? So I know I keep saying that, but it's something I just kept discovering over and over and over again. And as I mentioned, most of this research is coming from prestigious institutions. It's been in the scientific record for decades. No one's arguing that it's not real, but so few people are incorporating it into their daily lives. For, for the average person, what, what are the sort of issues that it could fix? Breathing has been found to just breathing and developing proper breathing techniques, nasal breathing, breathing slowly, increasing the CO2 in your body, has been found in numerous studies to be very effective in reducing the symptoms and sometimes entirely reversing asthma and panic. Some autoimmune diseases, some people with autoimmune dysfunction can respond very well to getting their breathing in check, especially their breathing at night. Add in some cold exposure, a cold bath, a cold shower, the stuff that Wim Hof is doing with people with autoimmune diseases, and the science is very clear how effective this is for your immune function and to get things back on balance. I think people who deal with chronic stress Breathing has been shown to be extremely effective for that because it allows you a pressure release valve throughout the day. If you're constantly jacked up and stressed, your kids are yelling at you, your job is driving you crazy, you carry your breath around with you all the time. So this is something you can use to diffuse that stress, to calm yourself down so that you can actually function properly throughout the day. There's also a bunch of other crazy stuff looking at breathing, especially hypoventilation training and weight loss. And for people with heart issues and diabetics and migraines, and I've included something like 400 different scientific studies on the website that you can refer to, but you can look this stuff up as well um, and look at the science between hypoventilation training, Wim Hof method, Sudarshan Kriya, and all of the people who have benefited uh, profoundly from developing just proper breathing. And if you think about it, it's, it's not too much of a leap to, to consider this. If your breathing is dysfunction all day and you're stressed, you're just creating this negative feedback loop to keep you stressed. You have to fix your breathing if you want to fix how your mind is working, how your body is operating.
Yeah, I, I just um, how important is it? How important is it to fix your breathing? Well, I'm I'm convinced that you will never ever be healthy if you aren't breathing in a healthy manner. So you can eat the right foods, you can exercise all the time, you can wear all the wearables you want, even you know you you can do your your mindful meditation. But if you're going to bed at night and snoring and have sleep apnea and hyperventilating throughout the day and mouth breathing, you're never, ever going to be healthy. So I'm not saying it's the only thing you need to do. I would never say that. But it is definitely one of those essential pillars of health. And I think it's been left out in the cold for a long time. Everyone's clued in, right? Anyone who pays attention to this stuff, what you eat is important, right? We all know that now. Uh, exercise is important. We know that now. Sleep is important. Okay, sure. But people have been talking about breathing and how breathing applies to all those things. Again, we take 30 pounds of air in and out of our lungs every single day. So far more than we eat or drink. If you think how we're taking that air in, how we're exhaling it isn't going to affect you, then you're just not being reasonable. And you're not looking at the basic tenets of our physiology. It is so overlooked. Um, uh, it's not even something I considered. Like, like you say, diet, exercise, sleep. But breathing is just not thought about at all. Um, I did have a couple last questions to go through. Um, sure. the, let me just make sure I tick all these. Um, this was one I saw in the book is why do we need to learn this? Which you've kind of covered, but if you've got anything to add, like why do you need to learn this? Yeah, you know, this was a question that I had too uh, that I was very skeptical about. I was like, you have to be kidding. You have to relearn how to breathe. So now we're, re- we're reteaching ourselves how to eat, right? So I was thinking, I was like, why do we need to reteach ourselves how to eat? We're the only, the only life form in the history of the planet that has had to relearn how to eat in the past hundred years because their food has gotten so bad. And now so many of us have had to become casual biochemists. Oh, I need this amount of vitamin C. I need this amount of D. I need K2. I need vitamin E. I definitely need B12. Like, this is crazy. We never needed any of this stuff before. Because we were in nature, nature provided all of these nutrients through the sun, through the food we were eating, right? But we are so divorced from nature that our breathing has become so dysfunctional. There's the anatomical problem. Our faces are different. Our airways are smaller. Our mouths are smaller. Our noses are clogged. This is all very clearly, anyone can see this in the archaeological record. So... We know that, but as far as breathing patterns and as far as breathing techniques throughout the day, all you have to do is look at this systemic, chronic, low-grade stress and see how dysfunctional breathing applies to that, how it triggers that. And all you have to do is look at how fixing that breathing to breathe like a normal animal, to breathe like a dog, as long as you don't have a bulldog because they're terrible breathers. They've been bred to have a flat face just like us, which is why they suffer from the same chronic respiratory issues as we do. Anyway, look at any other animal, how they're breathing. Look at a newborn baby, right? Breathes into his stomach. Very smooth, rhythmic pattern. So just look to nature as a guide. And if you don't trust nature, 
look to wearables, <laughs> wear some wearables and look what happens to your stress levels. Look what happens to your heart rate variability. Look what happens to your blood pressure throughout the day when you adopt healthy breathing patterns. And we're so lucky to be at a time when this technology is really cheap. This stuff would have cost 20 grand 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But now you can buy something for 100 bucks that shows you so much data. So, you know, uh, again, I don't want to be an evangelist, but if you don't believe me, look at the science and look at yourself and how you respond to this stuff. And I think you'll be surprised. No, um, it's absolutely amazing. The, the book itself for me was like a, it was a trigger to really think about it, to practice it. It makes you practice it. You're so thoughtful of, of breathing, not something that um, I'd even thought of. And I, I consider myself to be healthy as well. So it's really, I can't believe it's just gone unmissed by so many people, including like the, the whole health and fitness industry just completely missed. Um, for people who want to find out more, where can they find out your details? Um, what, where's the best place to look? So I have a website. My publisher was kind enough to let me put the entire bibliography on that website because I knew a lot of people would be listening to podcasts and saying this guy is completely full of crap. <laughs> um, so you can you can check out the scientific references. There's videos on there. I've done interviews with a professor at Harvard and with leaders in the field in breathing. Those are all available for free on the website at MrMRJamesNestor.com. And I'm also on this thing called Instagram, which for an old guy is super confusing, but uh, <laughs> I'm only posting stuff associated with breathing and science. So no, no puppy pictures, unfortunately, even though I have a really cute dog, uh, she's, she's not going to show up in my Instagram feed. And where can we find the book? Uh, the book is, uh, you know, available at your indie bookstore, buy it there first and through all other channels. Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, and all the rest. James, thank you so much for blessing with you, uh, with your time. I really do appreciate it. And um, I'm just hoping some people read it, discover breathing and just trigger them to sort of purchase the book and really go through it. Because for me, it's been a big change. And I know for a lot of people who I've spoken to already, it's really helped. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to James for this video. I have had tremendous benefits from nasal breathing. And more recently, I've got into uh, mouth tape and sleeping with mouth tape. That has been a game changer for me. Um, and if you want to see sort of the science behind a lot of this stuff, you can head over to Morgan Brothers um, YouTube channel, the interview channel, and you can see some of the more educational videos where we use diagrams and visuals of that with this conversation and James Nestor. So go check that out. Um, you know, there's a lot of things in, with our human body that we do out of um, modern day, um, modern day, I'd like to say evolution, but you know, not that much time's passed, but I guess it is modern day evolution. And like, if we continue down this path, one day, maybe our nose, um, the the area of our nose and in, in, in how we breathe. And if you really see a diagram of how big that area is, it's quite wild, um, we'll shrink and maybe we become more mouth breathing and maybe that's a detriment to our physical body. And, you know, there's a lot of things where as humans, we're advancing 
And there's a lot of things where we're pulling away from. And some of the, uh, you know, most of them lie in our physical body and are true to nature. Things we're supposed to do true to nature that we don't do anymore because of the modern technology that we have, the way in which we live and socialize. And um, some of those things we need to try and reach back for. And there's a lot of those things out there. Breathing is one of them, but there's a lot of things out there that we should strive to find and get in touch with to lead a, ha lead a happy, prosperous life. And we should try and find those things. So do your research, look into those things. There's many, many things that throughout history um, and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, we did naturally because we had to, because that's the way in which we lived. It's only in recent history, we've had the luxury of not having to do those things, of changing those things in recent, recent history. And that has adverse health effects. It has adverse psychological effects. And we really need to sort of try and get in touch back with nature. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's just my two cents on it. I try to do things like that every single day um, and try and find my way back to it. And luckily I get to speak to all these amazing people. So I managed to find out new things all the time. And if you want to be involved in that, uh, I don't know how it works on podcasts, but subscribe or follow or do something <laughs> to stay in touch with the show. And yeah, uh, I don't know how it works, but do all those good things. Guys, this was made possible. We don't have any channel sponsors right now um, because we are running a lot of this through mulliganbrothers.com. Mulliganbrothers.com is a website where you can get the motivational clothing, uh, the Inspire Change Mission clothing as well with the link in the description. I don't know if that's true, but at mulliganbrothers.com, uh, you can find it. And the reason I say I don't know if it's true, I don't know if I can have descriptions on podcasts, but um, www.mulliganbrothers.com. The posters are now available at mulliganbrothers.com, the Memento Mori posters. It is a reminder that you are mortal. There are 80 years plotted out in tiny, tiny little squares. And each little tiny square represents a week of your life. And you shade in your life so far. So I have mine shaded into 30 years, which was a bit of a shocker to see all those weeks gone. But I also was quite taken aback by the thought that somewhere on that calendar... There is the square, the square that will never get filled in. And, um, you know, there's the last square that will get filled in. And I might have filled that in last, uh, on Monday. Like I might have filled that in yesterday or I don't, you, you just don't know. And as morbid as it sounds, that is just lit a fire under me. I see that every single day on my fridge now. I'm so proud of how we've created this. It's got, it's the first one on the market where you can get a frame that doesn't obstruct you being able to shade it in. Um, we ship worldwide now and I'm really proud of the poster and I really do think it's going to help many people as well. Same with the, the journal. Unfortunately, the journal keeps selling out. We've got a huge order on now um, and as soon as they're back in stock, we will let you guys know. But yeah, thank you to everybody who supported us at mullerwoods.com. Thank you to anybody who's come over to Instagram and said hello to me um, at Jordan Mulligan Brother and at Mulligan Brothers as well. Guys, have a blessed and productive day. We have at least 80 podcast episodes coming this year. That is a fact. So stay tuned. Have a blessed and productive day and love you all. Uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed the episode. Peace. <laughs>